John 21. Turn there with me, please. John 21. It's been called the largest restoration project in history. It's called the Comprehensive Everglades Restoration Plan. The Everglades is a natural area of tropical wetlands that stretches from Orlando to the southern end of Florida. And throughout the 20th century, the Everglades, due to various things, has suffered significant loss of habitat and environmental degradation. Storms, uh, population growth, um, uh, urban expansion, <laughs> things like that. So the plan was enacted in, two th or in, in, in the year of 2000 uh, by the U.S. Congress to restore the ecosystem of the Everglades. It's a 50-year plan that is going to cost an estimated $10 billion. The largest restoration project in history. Well, friend, I don't know about that. It may be the largest. It may not be. But I know it's not the greatest restoration project in history. Jesus here in John 21 gives us another restoration plan. Another example of a restoration project. It's not for wetlands. It's not for the ecosystem. But it's a project of restoration for something infinitely more valuable and more important. It's a restoration project for people. Namely one, Simon Peter. And you know what's significant about that, ladies and gentlemen, is that as much as we may not want to admit it, <laughs> all of us at times find ourselves in the same boat as Simon with as much need for grace and restoration. And then there are times in our lives when we ought to extend that same grace and restoration to others. And so we see both aspects here in the story, in this narrative from Scripture. And man, the Lord's been speaking to my heart about it this week. So let's talk about Simon Restored tonight. Simon Restored. So when they had dined, verse 15, Jesus saith to Simon Peter, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me more than these? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. He saith unto him, Feed my lambs. He saith unto him again the second time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? And he saith unto him, Yea, Lord, thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus said to him, Feed my sheep. Jesus said unto Simon the third time, Simon, son of Jonas, lovest thou me? Simon Peter was grieved, because he said unto him the third time, Lovest thou me? And he said unto him, Lord, thou knowest all things. Thou knowest that I love thee. Jesus saith unto him, Feed my sheep. Verily, verily, I say unto thee, When thou wast young, thou girdest thyself, and walkest whither thou wouldest. But when thou shalt be old, thou shalt stretch forth thy hands, and another shall gird thee, and carry thee whither thou wouldest not. Verse 19 tells us, This he spake, 
signifying by what death Simon Peter should glorify God. And when he had spoken this, he saith unto him, unto Simon Peter, one more time, follow me. In John 18, 18, Simon Peter stood by one charcoal fire, yielded to his weakness and his fear, and denied the Lord three times. Here he is now, standing by another charcoal fire, being confronted and officially restored by the Lord Jesus in the presence of the other disciples. So notice with me tonight, two truths. The first I call the acknowledgement by Simon. The acknowledgement by Simon. Hear me, dear one. Hear the truth of the Scripture. True restoration begins when the failure is acknowledged and owned. Here in verses 15, 16, and 17, it's interesting that we see in verse 15 that Simon was drawn to a point of honesty. In verse 15, Jesus said, Simon, lovest thou me more than these? A.T. Robertson said that Jesus probes the innermost recesses of Simon's heart. This threefold question corresponds with Simon's threefold denial. Jesus here exposed a flaw in Simon's profession. In verse 15, Jesus says, Hey, do you love me more than these? Well, how do you interpret that? Lord uh, Simon, do you love me more than the boat, the fish, the occupation? That's not what he was saying. Jesus was saying, Simon, do you love me more than these other men love me? Do you really believe that? Well, at one time he did. Because remember, uh, ladies and gentlemen, uh, in Matthew 26, 31 and 33, uh, Simon, uh, Jesus said, All of you shall be offended because of me this night. And in verse 33, Simon Peter answered and said, Hey, Lord, though all men shall deny you and be offended because of thee, I will never be offended. I'll never turn and run. I'll never leave you alone. I'll never leave you abandoned. I'm not going to shaft you, Lord. Everybody else might, but I'm going to be the last man standing. Well, ladies and gentlemen, we know the rest of the story. We know he wasn't the last man standing. We know he didn't stand at all. He folded like a cheap deck of cards. Just like I do sometimes. Just like you do. When it comes to our fight against sin, we yield. And it doesn't have to be a huge major blunder, a huge, uh, uh, largely exposed, uh, scandalous sin like Simon Peter's was. But we fail. We do wrong nonetheless. But in this one question in verse 15, Jesus is exposing a flaw in Simon Peter's character, his boast, his profession. He boastfully professed that he would never deny Jesus. He would always be faithful to Him, even if all the other disciples 
were to abandon Christ. Adam Clark said that Simon had professed a more affectionate attachment to Jesus than the rest. He had been more forward in making professions of friendship and love than any of the other disciples. And no one except Judas in the end had treated Jesus so badly. D.A. Carson said that Peter was always able to give, in whatever situation it was, the strongest personal boast. He had so much vibrato and loud boisterous, always out front, type A personality. Lord, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be with you. I love you more than they do. I'm never going to let you down. You see, friends, the problem was not necessarily the profession that he made. The problem was that that's all it was. It was just a profession. It had no root at all, no true reliance upon Christ's power to enable his faithfulness. He was totally self-reliant in carrying out this boast. He soon learned that his power, the power of the flesh, ladies and gentlemen, was completely insufficient. And it was with Simon and it is with you and I. He was dead in the water without the power of Christ operating in his life. And so are we. And if there's nothing else, dear one, that we take away tonight... Please, let's take away this truth that, as Jesus said in John 15, without Christ, without Him, we can do absolutely nothing. Can't do anything. Simon Peter, we know the story. He rested in his own strength and ability. He rested in His own power. Remember in the Garden of Gethsemane when Jesus said, Hey gang, I want you to watch with me. I want you to watch. Stay awake and pray. Pray with me. Just give me an hour. They couldn't do it. Three different times Jesus would come back to those men, especially the inner circle disciples, Simon, Peter, James, and John. And yes, it was in the wee hours of the morning. Yes, I'm sure they were exhausted but their commander-in-chief looked at them and said, Guys, I need you. Can you imagine that? I need you to pray with me. I want you to pray with me. I want you to stay awake. I need you to be on guard with me and watch and pray. Simon Peter thought he had it all wrapped up. I got this, Lord. I don't know what's about to happen, but I got it. Whatever comes, I'm ready. Boy, how many times have I thought that? How many times have you thought that in the moment of temptation, right before it strikes, right before the enemy comes at us? We feel so confident in our own ability, and yet we have nothing. We can do nothing apart from the enabling and the power of the Holy Spirit working in our lives. Oh, dear friend, I fell Christ when I rely on my own strength. And so Jesus, by that question, do you love me more than these guys do? You still believe that, Simon? You still resting in that profession? Jesus not only exposed a flaw in his profession, but he exposed a flaw in his priorities. 
Now lean in and listen very carefully, dear one, because this can get confusing and I absolutely don't want it to be. He says, Simon, lovest thou me? That's the word agape. Do you agape me? Agapao is literally how we say it. And it signifies the highest degree of love. And so Jesus asked three times, do you love me? That's in English. The first two times it was the word agapao. Do you love me with the God-like love? Do you love me with the same love with which I love you? And each time of the first two, Simon Peter responded, Lord, I phileo you. I love you like a brother. I don't love you like you deserve. I don't love you like... Uh, God deserves to be loved. I don't love you like God loves us, like you love us. I don't love you that way. I wanted to. I, I, I thought I did, but, but I, I don't. I can't stand here, Lord, and say that I love you like that, but I do. I am fond of you. I am affectionate towards you, but I, I have proven, Lord, that I don't love you like that, not like you deserve. And it's interesting that the last time Jesus asked the question, he changed the word from agape or agapao. He changed it to phileo. And he said, Simon, do you phileo me? Yes, Lord. You know all things. You know that's how I love you. And there in that moment, Simon Peter was acknowledging to the Lord, Lord, my boasting has failed me. I know I told you I'd go with you all the way to death. I told you, Lord, I wouldn't leave you. I told you. But I messed up. I failed. I let you down. I don't love you like I thought I did. I don't love you like you deserve to be loved. But Lord, I do love you. But it's not strong. It's not what it ought to be. It's not what it should be. It's not what I want it to be. And for the first time in a long time, maybe in his life, Simon Peter got brutally, brutally honest. The scripture says in verse 17 in our text that Simon was grieved. He was grieved. It literally means he was cut to the heart. The exact wording of the question by Jesus reveals his intent. He wasn't, gang, he wasn't trying to beat Simon up with guilt and shame. But he did want Simon to be awakened to certain personal spiritual realities. And when we get to this point in the text, all self-righteousness is gone in Simon. He knows full well that Jesus knows everything about him. He knows and is aware of his sin, his shame, his failure. It's all completely exposed to the Lord. He can't hide anything from Jesus. And I want you to know that before anyone can fully ever really be restored, there must be an acknowledgement before God that we have sinned. 
That's what 1 John 1, 9 is all about. If we confess, if we confess, the word confess is the word homologeo. It means to say the same thing, to come to the same point of agreement. If we say the same thing about our sin that God has already said about our sin, we shall experience the forgiveness of Jesus. If we confess, if we say the same thing that God says about our sin, then He is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But I want you to know that until there's the same verbal, or at least in our spirit, acknowledgement and agreement with God about our sin, there is no forgiveness. There is no cleansing until there is the same confession and the same acknowledgement. Yes, Lord, I have done this. Yes, I take... There's nobody to blame. Yes, I take ownership of my failure. I acknowledge it before you. I want you to know, true honesty is painful. Isaiah 6, Isaiah said, when I got honest before God and I said, Lord, I'm a man of unclean lips... One of the angels came and took the tongs from off the altar and picked up a live coal, he said, in that chapter. And he came and says, and he touched my lips. And then God says, your iniquity has been purged. It's been taken away. Don't you know when that burning hot, fiery red coal from off the altar of God, came and touched Isaiah's lips. Don't you know that was painful? It was painful for him to acknowledge that his lips, his words, his mouth was an indication of what was in his heart and the corruption from within. It's painful. That's why most of us are not too keen on getting thoroughly and brutally honest before God, ladies and gentlemen, because we don't want to go through the ego-humbling, ego-crippling, ego-crucifying work of acknowledging our sin. Even to say to our spouse or our children or a church member or a co-worker, hey, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I failed, I messed up, I was selfish, I was hasty, I made a mistake. So often we want to find a scapegoat and justification for why we did what we did or didn't do what we should have done or said what we shouldn't have said. I want you to know that biblical confrontation is not shaming and it's not condemnation. True confrontation, though, does involve the acknowledging of the wrong I have committed and an awareness of the hurt that it has produced. And when that has happened, when that has occurred, and confrontation and repentance has taken place, no, we don't need to continue to shame someone. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Christ took our condemnation. It's different. It's not the same. Biblical confrontation doesn't mean that we just simply come up and beat people over the head. No, 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 no. That's not what that means. But biblical confrontation is right and necessary. It's something that we are not used to. We don't like it. It feels odd and awkward and uncomfortable. Simon was restored. 
And the first step in that restoration had to be his acknowledging of his sin and failure. Question, before we go any further, what has the Holy Spirit spoken to you about tonight? Is there something that before God, sin, that we need to acknowledge, I need to acknowledge, you need to acknowledge before Him? Is there something that you need to acknowledge in front of someone privately or a group of people in order to be right with them? Because don't ever forget, dear one, we cannot be right with Jesus if we are not right with one another. I'm going to let the Holy Spirit speak from His Word. Let's let Him have His way. We'll finish this next Sunday night. Would you pray with me now? Our Father in heaven, I ask you to use the truth of Scripture in our hearts. Change me. Help me to be before you broken, before you humble, so that your power and spirit can rest upon my life and be pleased with me as your child. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.